Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to this episode of Cracking Addiction. And once again, we have Mr. Stephen Hurd with us. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm really well. Thanks, Fergal. So I thought today we'd um, continue our discussion on the evidence-based risk factors for lethality in the context of family violence. In the previous episode, we touched on the following risk factors of strangulation, escalation, stalking, and pregnancy. So let's let's explore a few more risk factors. Um, I mean, in my mind, I've also got um, separation, the escape plan. The escape plan and an enactment of the escape plan can also cause significant family violence risks. A really delicate time, a really mm. delicate observation. And it's mixed mixed up in that idea that that, that question that you know, clinicians may have, um, practitioners may have, that if family violence is going on, why doesn't she leave? Mm. And and that question was probably uh, uh, the first point of call to try and understand family violence years ago. But the real question is, well, why doesn't he stop his behaviour? Yeah. But that's not to say, well, okay, but, but let's get back to the separation aspect again. Separation is known to be a really dangerous time for for women mm. um, in terms of that moment of separation, the fear of separation. So leading up to separation, if the uh, controlling partner uh, fears that loss, um, his behaviours can escalate in, in that time frame of, of that th of that threat or the act of leaving um, but we also know that even even if it's successful that that family violence continues post separation just because separation might occur doesn't mean the violence is going to stop it can no. easily escalate and we and you mentioned other behaviors before around stalking and that's when mm. that might really escalate yeah but one of the is that go on sorry yeah, but one, one of the key bits of advice we, we need to sort of keep telling ourselves is that we as clinicians, we're outsiders to this person's life. We want to make them safe. We want them to um, connect with the police. We want them to connect with perhaps the orange door. We want them to leave. That's what we <laughs> want. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll, feel, I'll feel better because of yeah. that. Uh, but that isn't what her view will be. Her view will be, I'm too scared. I'm too petrified to leave. Because mm -hmm. if I do, I don't know. Well, he'll kill me. Yeah. And, so that's, and that's not an idle threat. And that's not an idle statement. Because we know that more than one woman a week in Australia is killed by a current or former partner. That's right. That's right. So how we navigate that space as clinicians is really, really important. Yeah. And, and, that's, and we've got to keep in the back of our mind that this person in front of us, the female victim, She's been managing this for a long time mm. and she's still with us. Yeah. She's managed yeah. to maintain herself. Now we can imagine different client presentations with different types of substances and different um, uh, other, uh, other what, what shall I say, um, privileges or benefits of life that may or may not have been bestowed upon them mm. um, really accumulate to her having developed strategies to resist the violence for, for so long. Yeah. And the idea of leaving is just uh, too, it's just too difficult in the sense of fear, for the fear yeah. of it. 
So is is there a time frame of the highest risk post leaving? I mean, I, I've heard it said that uh, you know the first three months is the highest risk. Is is that a valid statement or? I, I've heard it say? three six months. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's a good question. We do well. They do know. We do know. Um, yeah, the violence uh, has every chance of increasing mm. post separation, uh, and just because they're separated for a few months doesn't mean the risk is really reducing. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It actually increases. Yeah, and and at those times, what what, what can typically happen though is that um, separation might occur by default through an incident happening at home, through the partner or a uh, a neighbour potentially calling police, uh, police mm -hmm. arriving, issuing a f safety notice, removing the the male partner, uh, and that leads to a uh, a full intervention order potentially and that order could go for 12 months could go for five years just depending on how the courts see the risk mm. um, so while that intervention order is in place that's when the risk is still apparent and as you can imagine when a intervention order lapses the risk goes up as well so time frame mm. is very difficult to to really ascertain to, to, to lessen the risk. Yeah, I mean, there are some people sitting uh, dreading the lapse of an intervention order. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. What we, what we try and work with these days is, uh, when we work with men, is, is checking out and making them aware of what they're uh, uh, obliged to do with respect to the um, mm -hmm. intervention order. It's a legal document. They're obliged to comply with it. So when it says mm -hmm. uh, various exclusion requirements or not to be drug affected when they're trying to relate to an ex-partner. Now, these are all mm -hmm. it's important information to give our male clients mm -hmm. so that they're fully fully aware um, yeah. and, uh, and, and will at least accept some of the legal responsibilities around it. Yeah, so it's not an, an intervention order is not something to be trifled with, and and it can easily be dismissed by the client, mm. and yeah. and we've we've got a potential to collude with that as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about um, self harm, suicide attempts on the part of the perpetrator of family violence. That paradoxically is is a high risk factor. Paradox. That's right. So wanting to kill myself yep. means that I'm also more likely to kill my partner. Yes. Mm. And that is that's a high risk factor for his behaviour. Mm. It's a factor that us clinicians want to uh, embrace. We want to work with. We want to do suicide risk uh, assessments on, whether it's suicide ideation or attempts. Um, try and mitigate through uh, callback contact. But what we also need to understand is perhaps the further context of that suicide attempt. And it could be, it could be in conjunction with uh, the risk of the partner saying, I'm leaving. Yeah. Unless you sort yourself out, I'm out of here or you're out of here. Mm. And then that suicide attempt is very much putting the responsibility, the emotional and psychological responsibility back onto her. 
Mm. And probably the uh, if it goes ahead, uh, the threats are made often around, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. I can't look after myself. But if it goes ahead, then um, I'm sure there'd be uh, that added layer of guilt associated with it. So mm. if it's in the context of other family violence factors um, and other situational issues such as separation, um, it, it's really a significant family violence factor. Uh, often, though, often though, we don't know the other factors. We only hear the, the suicide risk. Mm. So we as clinicians have, have got to keep that in the back of our mind. This could be mm. part of a, uh, a set of controlling behaviours. And I suppose also when we're talking about this in terms of controlling behaviour, we also have to consider the concept of murder-suicide. If I can't have her, no one else can. So, you know, my, you know, again, it goes to the idea of possession, control, and then, you know, when, when that veneer of power and control is, is, is destroyed, then we've got that shame, which yeah. then triggers yeah. the murder-suicide. Yeah, and that's, that's very much true of uh, the children as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the sense of uh, if children are involved, um, it could easily be the, the attitude of the, the perpetrator to say, the real way I'm going to get to you is through the children, is through killing them. Yes. Um, and that may or may not be a murder-suicide situation as well. Mm. But this is what all the, the research is, is pointing towards, the frameworks of understanding um, that add that extra, extra lens to develop around our clients. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 and as, you, as, you, as we're discussing these different risk factors, you know, they're, they're not all in isolation. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of overlap with many of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, de and depending on that combination, it's, it's not as if um, they're all weighted differently. No. Uh, it's, it, what we do is we combine all of them, basically add them up in terms of high and, and standard risk factors, uh, apply our clinical judgment, perhaps do some uh, information sharing, around other services to, to see um, um, what other criminal activity might, might be happening. Um, plus uh, adopt a, an intersectional approach, such as other other impacts, such as uh, immigration or indigenous affair, um, indigenous qualities, are there uh, um, uh, regional aspects, the, the person might not live in the city, but in the in the regions. So all those go to play, um, and other racial cultural issues. They will go mm. into play as to what the risk ultimately becomes. Um, so mm. those risk factors are the initial indicators of of the severity of or the uh, the level of risk our, our clients are experiencing. Yeah, it's important to understand that there's no hierarchy, and that we're not actually talking in terms of a hierarchy. Yeah. So, I mean, another risk factor then would be the access to weapons or the use of weapons. Hmm. Mm. And and yeah. when we picture that, we think of guns. Yeah. I guess that's probably the first cab off the rack. Knives. Mm -hmm. Gun, knives, yeah. We don't often think of things, say, as uh, dogs as a weapon. We mm. probably won't think of things as a car as a weapon. Mm -hmm. um, or any or any potential projectile 
Mm. Uh, but certainly they're, they're probably the major ones that come up in, in stories. Yeah, DIY tools, hammers. Yes, yes. Yeah, being mm. out in the shed. A shed contains mm -hmm. a, a lot of potential weapons. Um, mm -hmm. um, so it's how we interpret that as well. If 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 there's access to guns, you know, cabinet, uh, that's a that's a clear. Um, well, having that access is pretty clear. Um, if there's access to a hammer in the shed, well, was it used in a in an incident at some point? Mm -hmm. That could be really useful information to try and derive. Yeah. Um, what about unemployment or a reduction in employment? Yeah. Yep, that's linked with um, as a high risk factor. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, what it means is the person's got more time to ruminate. Yeah. Less distracted, less committed to other obligations. Um. There's also a loss of status there, isn't it? So there's, as I said before, the, the destruction of the veneer and the, the exposure of shame. You know, my identity was the man, the provider, and I was in control and I controlled my, my, my partner. I had to keep her in line. And I, then I lose my job. I lose my identity. I'm more shameful. And then, you know, all of those negative feelings start welling up. The partner might still be in work. You know, uh, and that and that disparity, yeah, uh, flipping of traditional right. roles, yeah, yeah, and the maintaining of the traditional roles, traditional thinking, mm -hmm. which is a um, which is a known driver of family violence, mm -hmm. um, yeah, can add to add to the uh, frequency, add to the uh, um, yeah the occurrence. Mm. So yeah, earning less than the, than your partner, or that that change, if that's if that's a change that you weren't expecting, I can start triggering feelings of shame. Absolutely, yeah. In a in a world of male privilege where we expect to earn more than our partners. Yes, yes, and depends yeah. on how how well that you know, that particular man you know, attaches mm -hmm. himself to that old traditional thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the other things that goes that, that I also trigger in, in a memory of mine is that um, you know, it's not just unemployment. It's also having time, as you say, to consider the way in which you're going to create cause that harm. You've got more time to plan. So there's overall there's an escalation of all of the behaviors that then ultimately lead to family violence. Hmm. It depends on the on the on, the, on what planning there is. Mm. It's an interesting way to look at it, as opposed to an attitudinal aspect. Uh, well, I mean, as you say, you cannot separate out completely, but they they are they are all interlinked factors. But yeah. no, I suppose I suppose I reflect on what you said. You're less distracted. You know, when you're working, you're more distracted. You don't have the time to. You don't have the time to think about it quite so much. Yeah, and and as you say, uh, still earning some money for the household, living mm -hmm. up to those obligations. Whereas mm -hmm. home, not looking after uh, finances. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I guess at a minimum that will that will lead to some conflict mm -hmm. um, and argument, and is often presented as as a catalyst. Mm -hmm. 
but it, with family violence, we know there's a lot more behind it yeah. than just the incident. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. arguments about money. Are, I've, I've had a couple of patients who, who talked about arguments about money. Yeah. But I guess one, one thing that's dawned on me, Fergal, in in my time in the AOD space, and one of the factors we haven't talked about or mentioned is the drug and alcohol misuse. Mm. But I guess I was sort of thinking if if our list, our listeners can consider some patients they've had, clients they've mm. had, uh, who were a drug affected, well, that would be all of them because that's why they're coming to seek help. Uh, mm. Potentially unemployed. Okay, that's, that's probably a few of them as well. Um, potentially with mental illness. Well, that's probably pretty common. Yeah. And then we, we sort of listed off three three risk factors pretty pretty readily. Um, then we've got the other ones around. Well, um, uh, oh, just had a. Now, what what sort of relationship are they in? Are they in a, um, a family relationship? Do they talk of relational conflict? How does mm. that get managed? Uh, have they got an intervention order? Meaning there has been an inc incident and mm. um, police have been called out. So it's, so from my reckoning, it's, it's very quick in the AOD space that our, uh, that our clients come already with very little inquiry on our part uh, they come with a set of risk factors already that talk mm. about family violence, yeah. and, and yeah. we and we know there's a big overlap. Yeah. So let's just be clear about it: AOD, drug and drug and alcohol abuse, as you've said before, doesn't actually cause family violence. You can't blame violence on the drugs, but it acts as a magnifying glass and increases the frequency and the severity and also the risk of lethality associated with it. That's right. That's yeah. right. And it's the substance use of the perpetrator, not. Yeah, not of the victim. Not of the victim. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's probably a, a good place to end it today. Uh, thanks very much, Steve, and uh, hopefully we can talk thanks. again soon. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction. Mm -hmm.